Welcome to the New Life Church Podcast, where we dive deep into the timeless truths of the Bible. My name is Jake, and I'm absolutely thrilled to be your host. In each of these episodes, we'll unpack the richness of the scriptures, exploring how its teachings can bring new life and meaning to our everyday existence. Get ready to be inspired, challenged, and uplifted as we navigate the profound wisdom of the Bible together. This is a place where faith meets daily life. This is New Life Church. John chapter number one tonight, John chapter number one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Some translations say the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness couldn't conquer it. Focus on this phrase in verse 4, in him was life. A master weaver can take threads of many different colors, thicknesses, and lengths, and weave them into a beautiful work of art. The Bible is like a tapestry. There are many stories, themes, and characters. Many writers, time periods, places, and events. But they are all woven together into one beautiful story. God has revealed himself in a continuing story of revelation, a meta-narrative, a story above the story. It goes from the first word to the last punctuation of the Bible. There are themes in this tapestry. So what I'd like to do for a little while here today is pull on one of the threads. The thread I'm trying to pull on here tonight is the theme of life. Everywhere you go in Scripture, you find God. And everywhere you find God, you find life. Our text says, in him is life, and in him is only life. There is no death in God. In fact, Jesus said, the prince of this world comes to me and finds nothing in me. What that meant was there was nothing in Jesus that made him susceptible to death. He had to die of his own free will. In him is life. God loves life. Because God is life, he loves life. One of the themes of the plan of redemption is God's mission to restore the world from the corruption of sin and death. At the end, death dies. The end of the story is the death of death. For God, Because God is life, the ultimate punishment for those who will not be his is death or the absence of God. In the third century, there was an African bishop. He lived in a city with a funny name. The name of it was Hippo. His name was Augustine. He was perhaps the most influential theologian of all of church history outside of the apostles. You, in explaining things you believe to others, have probably quoted Augustine and didn't realize it or used his ideas. When he wanted to address the problem of evil, or the the issue of why is there injustice and sin and cruelty in the world, 
he decided that he needed to go back to the beginning and ask the question of why did God create the world? Philosophers, right? And they're like, why is there air? So why did God create the world? And he argued that God is complete within himself. There is no lack in God. There is no need in God. There is no absence in God. Creation, therefore, was not an attempt to fill a void. It wasn't like an impulse purchase that we might make at the store to fill some desire. But rather, Augustine says that God created because of his overflowing goodness. Because God is good, God created in order to share his goodness. In fact, he, Augustine goes on in, in this part, lots of people debate with, but he says that evil then is not a thing, but a deprivation of the goodness that comes from God. And since God is the source of goodness, evil is a deprivation of God. When God, out of his overflowing goodness, determined to create what he created was life. God gives life. He built an entire universe to sustain life. God developed processes for continuing and protecting life. He filled the world with all sorts of life, some of which I think were a joke. Have you ever seen a platypus? I'm pretty sure that was a joke. God does things, I think, for mystery, for humor even. Because God is good, God created. Because God is life, he created life. Because God is good, the life he created is good. Now that was about all the philosophy I have. That's as far as I go, that's, that's all I got. When you consider the complexity of life and of conception, it is a wonder that anybody is ever born. And listen, because I'm married, I have learned more about the conception process than I ever wanted to know. She has told me things scientifically in great detail that I wasn't interested in. But it's fair because I have told her things about theological stuff that she did not want to know, but she heard it. And so I've learned a lot of things about conception and <laughs> it is complex. It is amazing that anybody is ever born. It is an intentional marker of the design of God. The life is a mark of the designer. Now, medical science has developed to the point where it can do a lot of amazing things. I, I saw a thing talking about how science can maybe do things it shouldn't. A, a professor in Australia was talking about how colleges are canceling their humanities departments, things like sociology and anthropology. And he said, science can tell you how to clone a dinosaur, but the humanities will tell you why that's a very bad idea. The reason that's particularly funny is that's the plot line of the entire Jurassic Park franchise, <laughs> is maybe you shouldn't do that. Science can do a lot of things, right? Some of them are questionable. Some of them are very, very helpful. Medical science can do things to correct broken processes, to diagnose illnesses, to remove harmful tumors, 
to correct injuries and more things that can help the process God designed to work in the way it was meant to work. And thank God for that. But what medicine cannot do is bring life. Only God can give life. The gift of life is a divine prerogative. Sometimes God gives life through the process He designed. Other times He intervenes in a broken process and in a broken system or even in a broken body and does in miraculous power what science cannot do with all of its genius. Now, I've talked a lot about uh, the three-year period of time where we struggled to have children and the difficulty of that, particularly on my wife. At one point, I was just really deeply longing as her husband, watching her be in pain, to give her some hope. And I only knew one thing to do, and that was I started digging through the pages of God's Word. And one of the things I did was I did a study of barrenness in Scripture. And I found that there are three categories for this. One is just land that's not growing fruit because of drought or judgment or whatever. The other category is the enemies of God who are being judged. But this third category is interesting to me, and it is that women that are in covenant with God who are specified and labeled as barren. Listen to this list, and then, and then I'll tell you the interesting thing. Here are, here are women that the Bible said were barren. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Manoah's wife, Hannah, and Elizabeth. And this list of women are women who are righteous, who are godly, who love God, and God labeled them barren. What happens when the word you get from God is not the one you wanted to hear? But I find in Scripture a marvelous principle. The only reason that God ever labels someone who is His as barren is because it is His intention to give them a child anyway. That to me is amazing. The only reason God ever says she's barren is because he's going to say she cannot have children and then he's going to do it anyway. God likes to set the scene for the miraculous, doesn't he? He will put you in an uncomfortable, terrible place sometimes, it seems like to you, because he's getting ready to show himself to you in miraculous power. The only reason that he ever tells somebody you're barren that belongs to him is because he's going to say, this is impossible, now watch me do it. God gives life. Have you ever seen God put you in an impossible circumstance and then do it anyway? I love it. Won't surprise me at all if he does it again sometime soon. There are numerous stories of God giving life. I know for some reason I was thinking about something I heard uh, Brother Tim say years and years and years ago. He had sung a song and, and had gotten the words mixed up and ended up singing about having shoes on his table. 
Do you remember talking about that? And at the time, he had a little girl that they had been praying for and waiting for and longing for for a long time. And I, I don't know why I thought about that. It was funny. And he told that story and everybody started laughing. He's like, wait a minute. He, he got a little embarrassed because he got the words mixed up. And then, he, then it took him to a different place because there are baby things all over the house. God does amazing things. God gives life. For three and a half years, we waited and prayed and cried and wept and fasted. Then God gave us a word of prophecy. And I am a skeptic. I am. Somebody says, the Lord said, hi, we'll see. <laughs> but somebody came to me in a, in, a, in a moment, somebody that I trusted, somebody who had a track record of hearing from God. Which, by the way, you should be careful who you receive a word from. And I felt the witness of the Spirit when this deacon, this Holy Ghost-filled man, came to me while I was playing the bass. My wife was praying at the altar and said, I hear the Spirit saying, I'm going to give you a child. What he didn't know was at that moment, my wife was standing at the altar saying, God, I don't need to know when. I need to know yes or no. Will you do this for me? And God said, yes. Yes, I will. And so he gave us Laney. She's downstairs, but often in that period of time, I had quoted to my wife that hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. And so our girl's middle name is Hope. God gives life. And then God gave us a holy terror to balance the scales. Now he's the sweetest, most gentle, loving, compassionate, empathetic little dude and is developing a gift of song. He was singing the other day, both of them actually, completely in tune. I was like, that's impressive. Holding his little ukulele upside down. And now, there's another one on the way. And I have been crying like a baby the last few days in prayer when I was thinking about this part of the sermon. I was thinking about this passage of scripture that it says, I think it's in Joel, and I will restore unto you the years that the locust and the palmer worm and the canker worm have eaten. Three years of weeping and now three children. One for every year that was stolen from her heart. God said, I will restore unto you. God gives life. Not only that, and I, I need to move along, God preserves life. He fed Elijah by having birds bring him food. He fed an entire nation with little biscuits that showed up on the ground. He gave Hezekiah 15 more years of life after he prayed. He protected Paul when a venomous snake bit him. God preserves life. Job, even in his deep pain, said, You granted me life and favor, and your care has preserved my spirit. Now, God didn't just preserve life then. He preserves life now. There are stories we can tell about God preserving life. Years ago, I had a job where I was, um, I drove every day to Newark. There's one section of road where like six lanes, five or six lanes came together. 
And my car had broken down, so my grandma lent me her really old Toyota. No power steering, no air, I don't think it had air conditioning, no airbags. It was a death trap. I was grateful because I, if I didn't work, I didn't get paid. I was driving into this place where all the lanes merge, and I heard a very loud sound. And suddenly the steering wheel was everywhere. And I'm trying desperately, I'm by myself hours from home, trying desperately to maintain control of the vehicle. And I realized I was going to hit the retaining wall head first at highway speeds. And cartoonishly, everything slowed down. And I remember thinking very clearly, I am either going to die or wake up wishing I had. It was dangerous. I hit the wall. The car was destroyed. I slammed my head into the windshield because there were no airbags. Probably had a concussion. I was totally in shock, but I got out of the car and stood there. It's like, you know, kind of dizzy. I'd hit my head, not sure what was happening. And, and the officer came. I don't remember all the details, but... Um, an officer showed up. I don't know if I, I don't think I called him. I think somebody passing by called. And he walked back to see what happened. He said, your tire exploded. I really didn't know what happened. It all had happened so quickly. He said, your tire had exploded. That's why it's thrown. And, and the force of the impact head first into the retaining wall had sent me into the passing lane. Now, this was a road where every single day there were a million cars bumper to bumper at 60, every day. I drove that for months. On the day that I had the accident, there was not a single car in the two lanes next to me for a long time. That was the first miracle. Well, maybe the second one. The officer looked at the car and said, people do not walk away from a wreck like this. But I did. And I remember thinking, I just thought I was going to die. And I was not afraid. Pays to be saved, doesn't it? God preserves life. God preserves life from dangerous circumstances. I know of another man that was, had a, a semi-truck careening toward them. And suddenly their vehicle was two lanes over, and he had not moved the steering wheel. God preserves life. I really wish I could preach this like I was praying over it. I don't feel like I'm getting there. But one of the things that, that people in church wrestle with, generally in silence, is spiritual oppression in their mind. And, and one of the things that happens that people don't talk about because they're ashamed to admit it is that people who love God and who are trying to live right begin to be tormented in their mind by a spirit of suicide. And it begins to whisper to them, I know this feels really strange, but I need to obey God here. And for some people, it's, they're not interested in that. Why would you be? 
but it becomes a fearful thing. Am I going to fall to this voice? But God is the one who preserves your life. I have heard more people in the last couple of years that go to church, that live and live good lives, tell me that they have wrestled and that I've heard about that have wrestled with suicidal thoughts, despair, hopelessness. It is demonic. It is. It is of the devil. And and God's people do not have to live in oppression in their minds. You don't have to live in bondage to anxiety. You don't have to live in bondage to fear. You don't have to live in bondage to depression. You don't have to live in bondage in illness. There is not a single thing that the child of God has to be bound to because God preserves life. Not only does God preserve life, God restores life. Because God loves life, sometimes he even interrupts death to preserve life. When the Shunammite's child laid in his mama's lap and died in the middle of the day, she ran to the man of God. And there's this whole sequence of events in the end of the story is God raised this child that he had given by miraculous power in the first place back to life. In Luke 7, we read of a widow, and now her son has died, and they're taking him, her only son, taking him to the graveside. And somebody walked up, Jesus walked up and stopped the funeral procession. Can you imagine today if somebody stopped while the pallbearers were holding that incredibly heavy casket and said, stop everything. And Jesus looked at the boy and said, get up. And all the unbelievers, the audacity of this lunatic to stop a funeral. But you know who believed the word of Christ? Death did. And so the young man got up. And and this image of Being restored to life is not just a physical thing. It is pictured of of a spiritual analogy. Paul uses resurrection language to tell us that what it's like to be brought out of sin and into Christ. And the good thing about it is God restores all types of dead things. God restores dead friendships, relationships that you thought were long over. God restores dead hopes, and dead dreams. God restores dead marriages. Oh, yes, he does. I walked in the pulpit one day in a church, and I knew there was a couple that they had separated, and I felt like God gave me a word for them. The thing about it was I did not want to give it to them because I did not want them to get back together because it was toxic but I felt like God said, I'm going to put that back together. And he did. God restores things that we thought were dead. And we've seen him do it. Not only that, God gives eternal life. Because God is life, 
He wants us to live. Because sin broke our relationship with God, he sent his son. There's a reason that almost everybody that's been in church for very long can quote John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God wants you to live. God is life. Everywhere you see him, he's bringing life. He wants to give life, preserve life, restore life, and bring new life. God wants us to have abundant life because he is life. In Ezekiel 47, there's this picture of a river flowing from the altar of God. Everything the river touches comes back to life. Now, in the context of that passage, it's a prophecy about the restoration of the nation of Israel after captivity. And that's a picture of the Spirit of God, the way that waters flow. Everything the Spirit of God touches comes back to life because God is life and He wants you to live. And and if you feel like you're not as alive in your walk with God as you used to be, I want you to know that God wants to breathe life into that again. As we close today's episode, let's hold on to the powerful truth that God loves life. This truth not only transforms our lives, but it's at the heart of our church. You see, New Life Church is launching Judah's Hope Pregnancy Center to be a beacon of love and support for those who may not have anywhere else to turn. It's a tangible step towards extending God's love beyond these podcast episodes, beyond the walls of our church, into the lives of those in need. So as we ponder the principle of God's love for life, consider how you can be a part of this life-centered mission at Judah's Hope. Whether through prayer, volunteering, or just spreading the word, we can all contribute to a culture where the way we live is a reflection of the God of life. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the New Life Church Podcast. We are truly grateful for each and every one of our listeners, so thank you. For a full transcription of today's sermon and more resources, head over to our website at newlifechurchspringfield.com. I can't wait to dive into the next episode with you. Until then, stay connected, stay inspired, and God bless. See you next time.